Good evening, everybody. We are back on air again. 12-12-20. Hope you are not tired seeing our faces <laughs> and hearing our voices. I am getting tired of my own voice. But we are here. We have a few Q&A and uh, questions. Some are spiritual, some are, of course, political. But we shall trust the Lord to give an answer. That is right in his sight. So this evening as we come to the Q&A, before we start, let's pray. Father, we just come to you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. We just thank you for today, Lord, the twelfth day of the twelfth month. You watched over us. You protected us. You kept us in our going out and your coming in. All the pastors who came today, Lord, we thank you for every one of them. So many old, so many infirm. I pray, Father, your hand would be there upon them pray they have reached home. Some may be still on the way. Reach them all home safely, Lord. Now, Lord, as we look into these questions, we pray, Father, we have an answer from you. There are a lot of people who are distraught, discouraged, depressed, but, Lord, you have an answer always. Your word is life. You're teaching us to come back to the word and stay in the word and hide in the word. That's our life. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Come at this time into thy hands. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Yes, Pastor Wade. So, Pastor, we're looking at question number six and seven together. Okay. Very pertinent to all of us. (laughs) Why do I get sleepy, uh, praying, reading, and you do not get tired? What is it that you're doing that we can... Uh, we can get to where you are in prayer and meditating on the word and not fall asleep. <laughs> That's a funny question. Okay, we are not there yet with all the great ones who have gone before us. We are on the way still. The question is first, the, I would say the first question to ask is that, do you get sleepy only while praying and meditating the word of God or do you get sleepy when you do other things too? Okay, that's how you distinguish whether it is spiritual or not. Like, if you are reading another book, let's say a fiction, do you get sleepy? Okay, or you are talking to somebody or listening to something, do you get sleepy? If you don't, then you need to get into this spiritual discipline. <clears throat> also, uh, leave us out of the picture, okay, you have to... You have to train your body and your mind. It's as simple as that. Okay. Right now, we all have our limits. But remember, our limits can be stretched. Limits can be stretched. Okay. But not continuously because that will then lead to the body breaking down. You will see Jesus at times drew them apart so they could rest. And at times he stretched himself. He went through the night praying. Okay, so you will see that he spent, and you will see the place where he spends the whole night praying. And morning came, he was back at his work. He didn't even take a power nap or anything. So you will see. And then he takes power naps in the middle of of a storm. So he stretches. The thing is that uh, there is a discipline which you follow. Then your body gets used to it in anything, anything you do. If you get used to sleep, if you have a discipline of sleeping for nine hours, your body will take it. 
Your body has no issues. It will take it what it gives. So you have to discipline your body. You can eat two meals. You can eat eight meals. The body will receive it. Okay. It will receive it. You have to discipline your body. If you, if you look into your body, if you look into what Paul says in Corinthians, Pastor Vijay, of course, will give immediately the reference 9, 27. <clears throat> okay, this is the key. Nine. The body and the mind, okay, they go, go together. 9, 27. Oh, let's read from 24 onwards so that this child who asks gets, why do we do things? Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives a prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an impact. So those who are running for a perishable crown, meaning they have fixed their mind on something or not, they will stretch themselves. Okay, only thing they will take a fine pills and all kind of stuff. And we we don't do that. Okay, Sammy does. We don't do that. Okay, he doesn't take a fine pills. He has coffee drinks. Okay, yes. His coffee is like the old cowboy stories I had read. You boil water, you put coffee powder, and then you put coffee powder, and then you put coffee powder, and then you put coffee powder. Then you put a horseshoe and see if it floats. If it floats, the coffee is ready. <laughs> it is ready. Okay. Now, we, we can't do stuff like that. We can't, okay, we can't do stuff like that. We may take a, I mean, I can't take even strong coffee. If I take strong coffee, I have to throw the whole thing out. But you can discipline your body and you can discipline your mind. Both are like, it can be stretched. You can be stretched. But don't, like, you know, use your body. Don't abuse your body. Don't abuse your body. In every discipline you will see people, like if you look at uh, sports people, they stress their body. If you look at academics, they stress their mind. Like some of you will think we had, we have an unfair advantage because we both come from the research background. We both did our PhD. I didn't complete because of other reasons, but we both come from the background. So we have no choice but to stretch our mind. We have to sit and read for hours and hours and hours with undivided concentration. Okay, we have to concentrate. Undivided attention we have to pay. So we trained our mind for years and years. So when God called us to ministry, we just had to take that discipline and switch it to another area. That's all we had to do. But this is something which anybody can do. Like when it comes to reading, it's it's a discipline. It's a discipline. It's a discipline. Reading a Bible or reading something else, both is a discipline. The thing is a lot of people can read fiction, which is not discipline, which is more like a sport. <clears throat> reading fiction is easier because it does not uh, engage your brain. It engages more of your senses, which enjoys. It's like watching a movie. Okay, it's watching a movie. That's why I always tell young people and always tell them, no, as you, first start with fiction, which is good because first you are young, start with fiction. Then from fiction, start moving to non-fiction. And non-fiction, shifting from fiction to non-fiction is not enough. When you could read a novel in two or three hours, when you start to non-fiction, you will realize you cannot in two or three hours, you may go through 10 pages, 15 pages because you have to sit back. Now you're grappling with ideas, not with a plot. Okay, so you have to shift slowly, you have to shift. That's how you engage your mind. The Bible is both fiction and non-fiction. 
fiction in the sense of they are not fiction, but there are stories. And initially, we all read through these stories and we enjoyed it. And we teach our children also to do that. But it has to go beyond that. It has to go beyond that. And it's it's a discipline. And about sleeping also, it's the same thing. You know, you can discipline your body to take less. Initially, you will struggle. The problem is people give up very fast. Give up very fast. And I'm not really saying that you should do it like the way people do it in the world. No, you should never do it in the world. For us, we have somebody who is constantly with us to help us. Like I was saying in the morning, I don't need an alarm to wake up. The only time I set an alarm is on a, a Sunday for a Sunday morning that I don't by mistake oversleep. Other than that, I don't need an alarm. Six days a week, I put no alarm. But I usually wake up without, between 3.28 to 3.38. That that 10 minutes here, I don't know why it is 28 to 38. I never figured that out. But that that time I am up. It was not always that. Like I said, I changed it only a few months back. I was a late sleeper. I used to, meaning I used to sit till 2, 3 in the morning. That was the way I trained myself for years. But when God was telling me you need to change your timings because the battle is a different plane altogether, I asked his help and I changed. My system took a couple of, few days to adjust and after that I'm fine. I'm okay with it. I'm good. I'm good. So we don't fight these battles in our strength alone. We have honestly in the little battles and the big battles, we have our Father who is with us to help us through. And I believe a lot of Christians go through so much of life without seeking help from God. Without seeking help from God. And He is actually there with us. He's actually there with us to help us through this process. And after that we will read. And why it is so beautiful is that when you have learned that you can do this, as Paul would say, through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, and you realize, you know what? It's a simple principle. You can bring Christ Jesus into all your struggles and you can overcome. He he never said that you need to... What Jesus said to the church in Laodicea is that you need to overcome as I overcame. And if you look at how Jesus overcame, he overcame through the Holy Spirit. He didn't overcome on his own. He didn't overcome on his own. He overcame. And the first thing we see in his public ministry is that he is baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit drives into the wilderness. He comes through the testing in the power of the Holy Spirit. And he's continuously doing that. Okay, so to my young people, I think it's a 16 or 17 year old kid from New York who asked this question, if I'm right, I'm not sure. My thing is that start early, start early. The earlier you start, the easier it becomes. Like for me, I was, I was blessed to have parents who read. So reading was very, very, very early, very early. I, I don't even remember, was I nine or ten when I started reading my first novels, not even storybooks. Like I think I read in, Class four or something, Alistair Macklin, mm. you know, and Guns of Navron, I still remember. I read like crazy as a child. But you can start that discipline anyway. And the thing is that most people do not have that will. It is, it's a question of your will too. It's not your emotions or something. It is your will. Your will is the most powerful part of your personality, of your soul. Your soul is your, your basically your life. Your soul relates to God through the spirit and your soul relates to the body with the world. So your soul is your life. Basically your soul represents your life. 
Okay, and that is like why the reason why I'm saying it is because soul is your life, and that is the soul that Jesus poured out on the cross. His life he has poured out, and in your soul, the most important part is not sometimes your mind or your emotions; it is your will, and you have to choose. See, God said, "I set before you life and death." Think. He didn't say that. Then it's your mind. I said before you, life and death, feel. He didn't say that. Then it's your emotions. He said, I said before you, life and death, choose. So it's your will. It's your will. Your will has to get involved. Everybody has a will. It has to get involved. And once your will gets involved, you bring your mind and your emotions to it. And that's how you bring change. A lot of people, actually, everybody has a will. The problem is that they all used a will for the wrong things. And we were sustained in that for years. No, and we got addicted to stuff. Like, no, and we had to throw that stuff away. Throw that stuff away and take that will and put into reading, even in my case, reading. And the best movie I know was a movie buff. You could watch and watch and watch and, and before he got de- de- delivered. Okay. <laughs> he could watch. I'm not saying when in the, he was in the ministry or not. I'm saying before that. He could watch. I was never a movie buff. I was a book buff. Okay, so that's why our illustrations are from books and this is from movies. Okay, so we had, and it, it's in our will we chose. It's a will we chose. We chose, like today, okay, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, okay, but in my will I chose, okay, I'm not, I was thinking, you know, I mean, when you're coming in the car, you say, okay, we'll cancel prayer. I will say, no, you are not canceling prayer. The situation is like that, you are not going to cancel prayer. I'm going to cancel prayer. So we kept the prayer. And then I still looked and said, okay, only four questions. Cancel Q&A. And we said, okay, you're not going to cancel q and I mean, your mind talk, I, my mind talked to me all the day, all the evening while coming back from church. No, it talked to me. And I talked back with my will and said, no, we are not canceling it. We'll continue to have Q&A and we'll trust God to give us the, the strength to do it. Okay. So just use your will. Yes, Pastor Vijay. So, uh, because it's, again, we'll look at practical questions and then we'll go to the... And by the way, I do get tired, okay? I do get tired. Uh, so, we'll be looking at the, some practical questions yeah. and then also, also some... Uh, other, other Only questions. thing I would tell you, older people, when you are older, and I try to tell that to my wife, she still doesn't listen to it till today, I always say that there are these... If you look in, in, a, in a daytime, like us, who doesn't work 9 to 5 regularly, like that shift in an office setting... There are some parts of your day are the worst. I mean, useless part. Like for me, it is like two to three, one to three afternoon. Those are not times which is very effective or productive. Okay, or two to three, let us say. I would always say, if you're an older person, take a nap then. Take a nap. That's why I don't mind my missing so much of my night sleep, but I don't, I mind sleep missing my afternoon nap. I've been telling my wife, you need to take it because you run through the day, you are so tired, you need to take your nap in the afternoon. So one of the things which you have to do is you can train your body to have what we call power naps. When I worked with as an editor in one of those companies or in Longman, we had 45 minutes or something for lunch. And I could still keep my face between the book and sleep for 20 minutes without anybody knowing Right next to the chairman's table. <laughs> I took my nap and I was fresh to go till five in the evening. Okay, 20 minutes. Okay. And it really, really energizes you. So you have, that's what Jesus did. I look at him in the storm. He was taking a power nap. 
was going from one ministry to another ministry. He took a power nap because looking at his schedule, he must have got up early in the morning, prayed, came, ministered, exhausted, took a power nap and continued his ministry. So if he did it, we too can. Well, his was a powerful nap because he was the <laughs> son of God. <laughs> okay, yes, Pastor Vijay. That's a question number eight. Uh, and then we'll look at question number four and five together. First question number eight, it says, why are we so hypocritical in public arenas? Why do we not hunger for Jesus daily? Where are we going wrong? Uh, public arena is because, like, you know, we, like that, that Jesus said, how can you believe you? John 5.44. Yeah, John 5. I was thinking it's 8.44, 8.44.45, something else. 5.44. John 5.44. How can you believe when you receive honor from one another and do not seek the honor that comes from one, only God? That's our issue. If you, uh, if you, if the whole question you are asking is answered here, answered here. Our major issue with faith, our belief, meaning when you believe, you shall be my witnesses. That means you believe in the dark and in the light. Your faith does not change before people or where there are no people. Your faith is the same. The problem is you will struggle in your faith life. Your your faith life is your real life. It should be your real life if you look to seek honor from one another. Mm. That's our issue. We look for honor from one another. Okay, And when you are young, we call it peer pressure. Peer pressure. If you look at Daniel, he did not give in to peer pressure. If you look at Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they did not give in to peer pressure. If you look at Joseph, he did not give in to peer pressure. If you look at David, he did not give in to peer pressure. This is our issue. This is our issue. We, 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 we want the honor of the world. We want the approval of people, even at the knowledge that we are wrong. If the approval of the people is there, when we know we are right with God and right with man, then the pe- approvals, it is fine. But that's not our issue. We want the approval of God at the people, when people are wrong. When people are wrong, we want their approval. And then what we do, we try to become like them. And so much stuff we do, so much stuff we do is basically that. And we have to fight it. And when you are young, if you start early, you, you, everything I'm telling you, so many things which we do, I mean, especially young people do, is got to do with peer pressure. It's peer pressure. They wear dresses which has got nothing to do with them. They, they don't, they look at all their compatriots dressed that way and they change. They read books which they don't even understand or don't like, at least they carry it around pretending they read, you know, they listen to music they were never used to. All kind of things they do, it's simply because what others are doing. Why are you doing it? Because you want their honor. You want to be accepted. You want to be part of the in crowd. And then what happens? You struggle with God. Because when you come to God, suddenly you realize he's not part of the in crowd. He's not part of the in crowd at all. And then what happens? You lose your hunger for the spiritual. Remember, the spiritual is what is real. If the physical is real, then it wouldn't pass away. The world and its desires are passing away. That is 1 John chapter 2 and uh, verse uh, 
18, uh, yeah, 15, 16, 17 is that you know, the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God, about, the one who does the will of God is seeking the honor of God. Okay. The one who does the will of God is seeking the honor of God. And that's what the world is. The world is passing away. Okay. If you seek the honor of men, it is passing away. You know, it will pass away. And what happens is, you actually become a hypocrite. You actually become a hypocrite and you struggle with it. And that's where the problem is. So where are we going wrong is that just first know who God is, get to grow in the knowledge of God and be true to it. True to that knowledge. True to that knowledge. I'm not saying that uh, uh, just because I use that term about music and books and clothes and all. I'm not saying you shouldn't be fashionable. It's all fine. God has no issues with it. But don't go overboard with it. And if you ask me what is the standard of God's fashion, it is modesty. It is modesty. Hmm? What is the standard of God's fiction? Is clean. It has to be clean. It has to be clean. What you read has to be clean. What is the standard of uh, God's music? It has to be uplifting, encouraging, edifying. It has to be edified. If you know these standards are met in whatever you are doing, it is fine. It is fine. Okay. But this is where the struggle comes, especially with younger people. And now I don't know who is young and old because even the old look like young people today. Yes, you become, uh, you, I believe that unbelief, when these both two come together, you actually become a hypocrite. You believe and, you know, meaning when you're with the believing crowd, you have one language. <coughs> when you're with the unbelieving crowd, you have another language. You're a hypocrite. Yeah, you, you, you can't be that, you know, like when you go to college, does the language change? I would rather be silent. Nevertheless, even among the rulers, many believed him, but because of the Pharisees, they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. <coughs> so Jesus brings this around. And Jesus was not worried about the praise of men. He was not. And he didn't abuse men either. But he was absolutely blunt. He was absolutely blunt. Okay, now we can't be blunt like him. Okay, be very careful. He was blunt because absolutely clean inside. <laughs> Okay, now when we are blunt people, that's why we have to be very, very clever. We like being blunt, but the problem is, uh, are we hypocritical? So we have to be very, very careful about ever being, taking his stand until we become like him. We become like him. Paul will become, Paul will become absolutely blunt in his epistles. So that's where we are struggling. That's where we go wrong. It's a process. It's a journey. But I believe you don't have to struggle to reach there for too long. Because people will, in the minute people will, in the minute you use the term, it's a journey, people will say, oh, it's a journey. So it will take many years. No. It doesn't have to. Spiritual growth is not like physical growth. It is not like physical growth. Physical growth, you don't expect a five-year-old child to be six feet, seven inches. It will take its time. But spiritual growth is not like that. Spiritual growth, I mean, you look at David, you look at Joseph, at 30, he's ready to reign. He's a father, like you have the Bible dividing your spirituality into children, young men, and fathers. At 30, he's a father. 
He is taking over a whole nation. By the time he is 39 years old, he is taking care of his entire household, from his old father to all his elder brothers. And he is the youngest. He is taking care of everybody. And he is a father. And so he, he matured very fast spiritually. So you look at it, that gives us hope. Always gives us hope. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Question number four says, what are these 144,000 people? Is it a fixed number of people that is going to follow the Lamb? Are these the number of people who will be successful? What about us? First, let us go uh, to that portion. That's in the book of Revelation. And there are two 144,000 in the Bible, okay, in Revelation. One you see is in chapter 7. And we are not talking about them. This is 7, 12,000 from the tribes of Israel. We are not talking about that. Okay. Then there is another one which is in chapter 14. This is what the question is about. The lamb and the 144,000. Let's read it from verse 1 to 5. So we get the whole picture. Then I looked and behold a lamb standing on Mount Zion. Now if you look at there is Israel, then there is Jerusalem and there is Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the pinnacle. So when the Bible is talking about New Jerusalem and then there is Zion. It is out of Zion, all of God's testaments and glory. You go through the Old Testament, the Psalms, where God takes out of Zion, out of Zion. I shall be zealous for Zion, Zion, Zion. So he is standing on Mount Zion. The Lamb is standing. So it is Jesus. With him, 144,000, having his Father's name written on their foreheads. Okay, one forty. I I don't believe like some of those uh, people who do eschatology that this is talking about those twelve thousand from the Jewish tribes. I don't believe it at all. I believe this is not that. This is something different. And I heard because if this, I believe this is talking about the bride, and they cannot be Jewish. Mm. They will be predominantly Gentile and Jewish believers while they were living who believed in Jesus Christ, not the ones who believed after seeing. Those who believed after seeing cannot be part of His bride. That's my take. I heard a voice from heaven, like the voice of many waters, and the, like the voice of a loud thunder. And I heard the thumb, sound of harpies playing their harps. They sang as it were a new song before the throne, before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who were redeemed from the earth. Okay, so we know these are redeemed from the These are the ones who were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. Now, you have to be very careful about it, because when you look at it, then it will say, okay, God is not gender neutral. Now, only men are involved in this, so that his women are not involved in it. But it doesn't fit. in. That's why you cannot take one portion and make a theory out of it. You have to look into Galatians where it says, when it comes to inheritance, there's neither male nor female. So this is talking about inheritance. Those who have overcome, those who are part, who will inherit all. So it is talking about them. So it cannot be men alone. It has to be women. So then what are the women there? <coughs> The women would, I would put it across as doctrine. It is doctrine. Okay? Their doctrine. Meaning, in their doctrine, let me go to there to, to show it. I want to, Paul, 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 offer you as a pure virgin that is in Second Corinthians 11. Okay. Okay, we'll come back here, okay? Uh, chapter 11. Words 1 and 2 and 3. <clears throat> oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly, and into you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. 
For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Lest, but I fear, lest somehow as a serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your mind may be corrupted. Now, if I can have two and three together, two and three together. Please understand the concept because that's how you understand. So he's talking about presenting the church here as a chaste virgin. And he says, you could lose your chastity by the enemy beguiling your mind. Okay, so he's talking about doctrinal purity. That's what he's talking about. Okay, he's not talking about the body here. He's not talking about the body. That's a different thing. He's talking about the mind here. He says, you can lose the purity of your thinking. The devil will be. That's what he does. He brings first doubt, half truth, and then a full lie. And slowly you start doubting the word of God. That's how he does. He says, did God really, did God say that you cannot eat from? He starts casting, you know, aspersions. Then finally he says, you shall surely not die. And what happens? The purity of thinking. They haven't touched the fruit. They haven't eaten the fruit. They haven't done anything with their body. But the mind is already getting, um, what he called, is, is getting manipulated by the enemy. So it always begins there. It begins. That's what the Bible is talking about. So what is happening? Now you look at this. Nobody comes to Christ as a virgin. In the spiritual, you become a virgin. In the body, it's a different thing. You become as a virgin and you, you consummate with your spouse. In the spiritual, it is different. You come as somebody from the world who already consummated with the world and God brings you to the purity of a virgin by the cleansing of your mind. Hallelujah. Cleansing of your mind, okay? Where you finally, your mind becomes like like Saul of Tarsus became Paul the Apostle. By the time he finishes, he says he's got the mind of Christ. He's a pure, chaste virgin because it's the point that where he in his letter writes with brackets says this, I am saying and not the Holy Spirit. God put it as scripture. Every other man what he spoke was inspired by the Spirit and became scripture. But this man speaks and it becomes scripture. Like Joshua stops the sun or stops the earth from moving. In the same way, this guy's words become scripture because his mind has become the mind of Christ Jesus. He's a pure, chaste virgin. So keeping that there, when we go back to that 144,000, I believe this is what it is talking about. Uh, verse 4. You know? Come further down. Yeah. These were the ones who were not defiled with women. Women in the Bible stands for ideas, doctrines, churches, all that. You know, the woman, you know, ten virgins, ten foolish, ten. So, okay, you talk about the woman uh, who is arrayed in purple, that is Babylon. So, women would talk about false ideas and false ideologies. So, these are the ones who did not defile their minds, minds with false idea, the doctrine of devils, as we can call it, demonic doctrines. They overcame it all, and by the time they finish, or at some stage in their progress, their minds are pure, like Jesus' mind. And these are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. Think about it. You have to understand this, keeping it in mind, John 1.1. John 1.1, okay? So for those new ones who are listening. Let's have John 1. one. <clears throat> in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Okay? So you have the Word over there. 
Okay, the word. So now try to think about it. In in so many ways, let us put up. He is the mind of God. So if you have to follow the mind of God wherever he goes, your mind has to be like God's. Okay? Now you go back. They go wherever the lamb goes because they think alike. They think alike. Think alike. You know? Think alike. Like when I am preaching and I look at Pastor Vijay, he already knows the next sentence or next reference I'm going to make because we've been in this ministry with the same book for years together. So you already know your pattern of thinking. This is what he's going to say next. Okay, and your spouses will know that when he this thing will say next thing he's going to say, they already know. You know why? Because you think alike. You think alike. Okay, and now this is in so many ways not the same, but here wherever the lamb goes. Okay, wherever the lamb goes. Now think about it really practically. Do you really want to go wherever somebody else goes? No. But that is not what it is talking about. It is talking about that you actually think alike. Amen. Actually think alike. You think alike. And these are redeemed from among men, being the first fruits to God and to the Lamb. They are the first fruits, meaning of all the work the Holy Spirit did on the earth, if this is an actual number or an approximate number or a whatever number it is, 144,000 the Holy Spirit in 2,000 years was able to make them to think exactly like he thinks. They are set apart. He, through this 2,000 years of church history, managed to get 144,000 people who think like God. Their mind is as pure as God and they think like God. They don't have the power of God's mind, okay? That's a different thing. That's only with God. Don't think that. But they have the purity of God's mind. And therefore, they follow the Lamb wherever they go. And you will see, because the mind is so pure, in their mouth was found no deceit. And that's what something about Jesus. Remember, Peter says, in his mouth was found no disease. For they are without fault before the throne of God. They have finished, they have cleaned themselves out. What Jesus wanted to do in Ephesians chapter 5, they have achieved with the help of the Holy Spirit, they cooperate, right? That is uh, verse 26 and 27. Okay. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing that should be holy and without blemish. That work has been complete. That work has been complete in them. So that's what it is talking about. This 144,000. Okay, 144. This, this another place where it also says, you know, that's all in the book of Revelation. This was in, uh, the chosen, the faithful, Yeah, it is 17. 17, okay. When he comes to fight, remember, 17 and verse 14. 17, 14. Again, when he comes, remember I told you, read the songs of the great women in the Bible. They are all warrior songs. So his bride is Rani of Jansi. 
like <laughs> she is like what is the John of Arc. These are fighter ladies. So his bride is not what you think. His bride is a warrior. So when she comes, she, there are men and women, those, those who are with him, they will make war with the lamb and the lamb will overcome them. For he is the Lord of Lords, King of Kings. And those who are with him are called, chosen and faithful. So we know many are called, few are chosen. Among even the ones who are chosen, very few will end up faithful. Faithful to what? To what he wants from us. What he wants. What does he want? He wants, he wants to make us without spot, without blemish. Just like him. And he says, will you cooperate with my spirit? And they say, yes, I will. So I believe that. So I, I hope it is not 144,000 that we all have, uh, we all have, what do you call it? <laughs> Some chance to sneak in. Hmm? Okay. Yeah, come. Next question. Pastor, this mm. is uh, pertinent questions to the current mm. situations. Okay. Uh, this is question number one. Mm. How come all these big shots in the government are all crooked? First, I will take the word all out. We don't know. You cannot put a big paintbrush and say all are crooked because we don't have the evidence that all are crooked. But... A lot of people are crooked in every government. A lot of people are crooked. A lot of people are crooked. Yeah. All of them still hold such a prominent post. God knows all and sees all. Why would he continue to keep them there? See, corruption has been there from the beginning. It's been there from the beginning of human history. It's been there. Actual government rules starts coming. If you look at how codified or like like law being set happens after Noah's Ark comes to rest, yes. God starts giving that a civil government is starting. But the problem is, even in that eight who came through the judgment, there was a guy called, he was not a crook, his character was too weak. No, he was, we cannot say he was a crook in that sense. He had a character that was too weak and he goofed up his generations. Ham was there. Okay. So that's what we were talking about. Then you look down the system. The problem is, uh, the problem is the unredeemed man, the fallen man, the fallen nature is tuned towards corruption. Like I keep telling, take any one of your little children, leave them alone. They will turn corrupt. You don't have to do anything to make them corrupt. They are corrupt. They are corrupt. And the more power you have, the more corrupt you become. That's the problem. The more corrupt, the, the more uh, power you have, the more corrupt you become. Unless you've been trained to have integrity. Trained to have integrity. Now, even in non-believing setups, there are people with incredible integrity. The integrity that comes from the law of their religion. Okay, there is a righteousness that comes from the law. Hmm. And in every religion there is law. There is law in Islam, there is law in Hinduism, there is law in Buddhism. And you will meet righteous people. Righteous people who will give you a run for your money. Because they have been brought in a very strict atmosphere of their home. They had probably godly mentors, fathers and all that. You know, they had godly mentors, so they have integrity. And when those people come into power, they bring that into their office. 
into that office. They bring that into an office. And that's why the Bible says in the, in the book of Proverbs, you know, when the righteous rule, yeah, mm. the, the people are happy, yeah. Yeah, when the righteous rule, okay, and it has happened, hasn't happened in our history. We have golden periods, like we have the period which we are called to, taught to hate, the, the time of during the Muslim rule. It's a minority ruling the majority, but among the Muslim rule, there was somebody who's called Akbar the Great. Akbar the Great, and his reign was supposed to be really good. Before that, we had somebody who was a Buddhist, whose name was Ashoka the Great. And his time was to be... And if you look at it, these people had a sense of integrity and righteousness, and they brought it into their office. Mm. Into their office. So, you have to see one of these things then. As the days go, as we move into the last days, what happens is iniquity is abounding. Iniquity is abounding. And, you know, base men and women will start taking over. As the people, so the leaders. As the people, so the leaders. It will happen. Because the base men and women will vote for base men and women. Okay, they will vote for that. Okay, if you are a liberal in US, who do you want? And if you use the term liberal, it shouldn't be used. Liberal was once upon a time a good term. Today, liberal means you are, I don't know even what word to use it. You are one somebody who sanctions every abomination in the Bible. You are a, Then you are a liberal. So if you are liberal, who will you vote for? You will vote for a leader who agrees with your policies. Hmm? Of course, you will use nice names, progressive. I will call them regressive. But that's what happens. That's what happens. These crooked people were always there. It is always there. And God doesn't intervene like that and take out this. I don't like this one. I don't like this one. I like this one. He doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't do that. No, because the earth has been given to man. And man has been given a certain period of time to rule this earth before Jesus intervenes. When he intervenes, he will finally come. A thousand year rule of absolute total righteousness he will display on earth. So he's not... He's not going to intervene like that. Yet the church has the power to make changes. The church has the power. And it is through spiritual warfare. We pray. We pray. And we can make changes. We can make, we can change. How do we make changes? We bind these powers of darkness. We attack the spiritual realm. And that helps the people to come to their senses. Come to their senses. Their eyes are open. They are convicted. So that's our job. And some of them die in the process if they are not willing to. Okay, God has intervened also. Remember Herod, when he did not give glory, he died of, he was eaten away by worms and he died. So he has intervened. He intervened in Nebuchadnezzar's case. He, he, I'm not saying he just hands, hands off. No, he intervenes. He intervenes. But he doesn't intervene selectively. Like we would, like we want to intervene in this situation. He says, no, I don't want to. I intervene everywhere. I am working over everywhere. But he is working towards his purpose. Our problem is sometimes his purpose doesn't suit our purpose. That's the problem. You answered this question last week. But the election was stolen. Businesses in the states are bankrupt. People are suicidal. Children are stealing for their parents. Drugs and prostitution is rampant. People are desperate. But why will God, who is so merciful, kind, all-powerful God, not intervene? It truly weakens. Now we leave the election aside and you are looking at the other reasons. Okay, okay. There is bankruptcy. People are suicidal. 
children are now stealing. Now let me ask you this thing. Is it because of bankruptcy people are doing this or people are doing this because of moral bankruptcy? It's because of moral bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. So don't look at the economic situation. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you, if I'm right, average median income of an American family or an individual is around $45,000. With that kind of an income in a year, you are a rich man in India. Most Americans do not know. Most of Americans are would be bracketed among the rich in most of the third world countries. The problem is much of America lives in a bubble. Honestly, I'm sorry to tell you, America is one of the most illiterate nations on the earth. When they look in the mirror, they only see themselves. They don't even know what the rest of the world is like. It's me and myself. And the problem is the chickens are coming home to roost. It is coming home to roost. America was once upon a time a righteous nation. But the problem is, America went after mammon. Don't blame the Chinese. You sold your soul to China. Chinese just took advantage of it. Because there's another question. Chinese just took advantage of it. You sold yourself. It was all about mammon. It was all about money. It was all about pleasure. It was all about comfort. And like Nebuchadnezzar, you were... You were um, you know, drunk in that power and say, look at what my hand. Okay? So we want America to be great again. God says, no, I want America to be righteous again. You did not begin with greatness. You began with righteousness. Go back. Go back. Go back. There's no point in being great in the terms of the carnal world because sooner or later, I'm not saying immediately, ultimately, U.S. will fall. U.S. will fall. It will fall. It has to fall. But I believe not now. So the thing is that, why are people doing like this? Why are people like this? If, let us say, if you were a upright Christian and your business is broken down, completely broken down, would you use your children to sell drugs? No. You wouldn't. No. Would you send them out for prostitution? No. So the issue is not the economic crisis. The issue is moral bankruptcy. You have failed morally. Morally. I always, when I teach, I always say, this is the issue. You have religions. If you look at religions in this spectrum, I don't want to put grade them. At the top, I would put Christianity. At the top, I would put Christianity. And number two, I would put Judaism. Because Christianity and Judaism portrays the living, true God. But the problem with Christianity is, once you go off Christianity, you fall into an abyss. You fall into an abyss. Because you have nothing to sustain you. Nothing to sustain you. That's why some of the most reprobate, wicked, evil people are either Jews or the Christians. They do some things with the others who would hesitate to do. The most reprobate are either Jews or the Christians because once you know from the living God and you fall, there's nothing to hold you back. You fall into a moral abyss. Abyss. Okay? You fall into a moral abyss. And that's that's the issue here. It's the issue here. You see, in India, at the end of the day, there is this, this question called religion. Religion. Though there is no real knowledge of the living God, the religion is a question. But Christianity is not a religion. 
Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is about knowing the living God. So when you turn your back from that God, there is no question to fall back into. That's why all these wicked laws are first passed in the West and then exported to the East. Because there is no question. There is no question. It goes. There is no question. And that's what has happened to that nation. And that's why we are praying, Lord. That's why we are praying, Lord, give us four more years of mercy so that nation can be restored to righteousness. Okay, so you cannot look at your economic situation and the resultant, this thing, as uh, God need to intervene. God says, no. Economics has nothing to do with it. It's got nothing to do with it. You do it because that's what you are. Let me tell you this thing. Don't the rich use drugs? Uh, are in the rich prostituting themselves for mammon? So it has got nothing to do with the economics. It's got to do with your character. So unless the character changes, there's no point in changing economics. <laughs> When changing economics, the character has to change. And the only way you can change the character is, Christ says, be born again. Yes, Pastor Vijay. Pastor, is the last question for the day. Yes, I'm tired. I do not understand this dilemma in the USA. Why does China have all this control when they're all unbelievers, wicked people? We are praying and fasting and God is allowing these threats to go on and on. Now they have no respect for the president. They are throwing more dirt, more dirt on him, slinging mud in each other's faces. We all have sinned. But President Trump has done so much. Why will God show them? Why will not God show them who is in control? Okay, this is, this is basically politics. Now let me tell you about these two things, one thing about, about China and the Chinese. Okay? Don't confuse CCP with the Chinese people. Okay? Chinese people are like any other people. They're simple people, suppressed by their government, absolutely totalitarian government which controls every part of their life, and they are under that oppression from 1959. It's now 40 plus, right? 61 years of oppression they have gone through. For 1959 or 49? When did the Chinese... Uh, Maoists took over, I think it was 1959. Yeah? Yeah, 1959 or something. They took over. Okay, the Maoists. Yeah, no, 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 the Chinese Maoists took over, no? So, we are talking about, okay? And the people. So, the people are not wicked. They are just like 1949. Yeah, that's 49 because 70 years are, 70 years are complete. So, that I was hoping like Russia, after the 70 years, they will also collapse. To free that poor people, okay? So the Chinese regime is over there. And the Chinese people are there. Why did the Chinese have so much control? Because you gave them control. How did you give them control? By getting them first into the WHO. Not WHO, the, not the UN, the trade body. World Trade Organization, you got them in. Why did you get them in? Though you know they are running all the sweatshops, it is human labor, slavery, modern human slavery, but you closed your eyes because you were making much money out of their factories. Everybody was building factories and minting money. You wanted money and you closed your eye to the abuse, human right abuses that was taking place over even till today. The unbelievable human right abuses that was taking place over. You closed your eyes and you started all this. You were making money. 
That is where the Chinese got control. Because whoever controls your money controls you. So everybody was making money out of China. That's the actual fact. If you want to look at the very simple, superficial part of it, everybody was making money off it. And that's why they have so much control. Okay, But the spiritual side about it is different. When you go through a crisis, you have to look at the spiritual like we saw in the morning. It's faith. You either come through faith or you fall because you don't have faith. If you come to Hebrews chapter uh, 11, if you read from verse 33 onwards, and at 35 there is a shift. Hebrews 11, 33. Who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouth of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again. Till there, we like it. Then the other side of faith. What if you are not able to win? Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had a trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn into two, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute and afflicted, of whom the world was not worthy. So both groups are called champions of faith. You cannot only accept one and not accept the other. You have to leave it to God. In one case, he may overthrow a regime and restore righteousness. In another case, you will say to the church, go through this. Fight it out. Be faithful even unto death. Okay. So For the first 300 years of Christianity, this is what the church went through in Rome under the Roman Empire. They went through. They were killed. They were crucified. They were burned at the stake. They went through it all. They didn't complain. They didn't complain. They fought their way. They lived in catacombs. They lived like that. But 300 years later, the Roman Empire collapsed. The emperor became Christian and persecution stopped. So I do not know what is better. I don't know which is better. You never know. You never know. You don't know where, which, where is the church stronger. Is the church in China which is underground stronger or the church in America which is stronger? Which is stronger? Like Richard Wombrand who was 14 years in isolation in the prison in Czechoslovakia, Romania, Ramba for his faith. And uh, when he came to US, if he was asked, why did, uh, why did God protect America from, why didn't the devil attack America with communism and socialism? He said he gave you something better. He gave you materialism. He gave you something, something, something worse. Materialism is the worst ism. The worst ism. And that's the reigning spirit of US. You know, so God is shaking. He said everything that can be shaken will be shaken. America forgot its roots. America forgot its roots. It forgot where it started. No, so a generation is living in this bubble of debt. Bubble of debt. Okay, bubble of debt. And you know, and uh, they basically says, <coughs> don't change our lifestyle. Please don't change our lifestyle. Just give it to us. Don't change our, but God when he comes, he changes your lifestyle. He changes his lifestyle. So when you are asking for change, 
be very, very sure what you're asking for. So when we are talking about, when we talked about former years of President Trump, I wasn't thinking about making America great. No. I was thinking about making America righteous again, making America holy again. A nation would come back to righteousness because prosperity without righteousness is a pit. It's a recipe for disaster. You don't want prosperity without righteousness. You know, you want righteousness, then if God gives prosperity, which is like, like the, the guy in Proverbs says, you know, don't give me too much. You know, don't give me too much. Let's read that as we close. You no. Know? Remove falsehood and lies far from me. Two things are request of you. Deprive me not before I die. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me. Okay? Lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Okay? He's saying. But these are all proverbs of the Old Testament. In the New Testament, we should go much beyond that. You give me as much as you can give me. I just want to give it away. I just want to give it away. I want to be a blessing. Because more blessed to give than to receive. So Lord, we don't go under the law kind of restrictions. Bless me, Lord. But see that I become a blessing. I want to fulfill the new covenant concept that is, it's more blessed to give than to receive. Lord, if it is anything, whatever that you want to give me, give me so that I have abundance to give out. We don't put restrictions like this in the new covenant because in the new old covenant, they were not given the spirit. They were not given the spirit. Okay, so in the new covenant, once you understand what the spirit can and if you can allow the spirit to control you, wealth does not destroy you. It does not destroy you. It does not destroy you. It can be an incredible blessing. Imagine if you have money, what all you can do. Not for yourself. Actually, for others, what all you can do, no, what all you can do. God just bless us today. We bless so many pastors. I'm telling you, we are the only church in the whole city that does it. Nobody does it. And we have done it consistently for 10 years. Consistently done it for 10 years. When we were very small, we did it. When we have grown up, we have done it. In the midst of pandemic, we have done it. We have done it all. We have done it all. And I like blessing them. For all people may have so told me, but I, they're poor pastors and I love them. They have done, many of them are old, they've gone senile. But they have done their part. They brought a certain number of people in the kingdom of God, worked hard. Okay. But, you know what? If we can be a blessing to them without taking anything from them all these years, taking nothing from them and could be a blessing to them, you see that, you know, I'm telling you, honestly, for many of them, Today's lunch was the best lunch of this year, of this year or this month for many of them. That was their best meal. That's why let them eat. You know, let them eat. So, are we blessed? Are we blessed because of what we have or are we blessed because of what we are able to give? So we have to look at blessing. Blessed are the poor in the spirit. Blessed are the poor. Blessed, blessed, blessed. Blessed are those who are not offended by the word of God. And then God says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. You know, that's what we have to look into this thing. But you cannot give if you have not received from God. Okay, you have not received from God. So when you pray, pray very smartly, Lord, make me a blessing. Make me a blessing, Lord. In anything that you have given me, I want to be a blessing. Yes, 
Shall we stop? Sammy? Sammy looks at up and sometimes when Sammy stares, I think the internet is gone. <laughs> yeah, we will pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord. We just thank you. We just thank you. We just thank you, Lord. We thank you, Father. We just thank you. We just thank you. Yes, Lord, one day righteousness will come. And it's not very far off when Christ himself shall descend. The shout of the trumpet and the archangel, you will descend. And righteousness will start reigning all over the earth. The wicked will perish then. The wicked. Oh, they will look for places to hide. They will fall upon stones and mountains to fall upon them. Your word says they would want to die, but they cannot die. Oh, that day is coming. And all the cries of your saints you would have answered. How long? You would say that it's up. Time has come. Like in your first coming, in the fullness of time you came. Second time also, at the fullness of time you will come. The wicked will perish. They will be wiped out. There will be no trace of them. Now they have big names. Then they won't have a name. They have no identity. In hell there is no identity. So all those who are crying, you know, Lord, a day will come. The Father will dwell with us. Your word says he will wipe away every tear, every sorrow, every grief. And he will dwell with us forever and ever. The day is coming, Lord. The day is coming. So I speak peace into everyone's heart. We are not looking a heaven on earth. We are looking on bringing his kingdom. We belong to that kingdom. Our citizenship is in heaven, not on earth. I pray for this. People, Lord. Pray, Lord. Give them a chance to come out of the circle. Give them a chance. Let them know everything they have heard and believed is a lie. They are tormented day and night while living. And if they don't repent and come out, for all eternity they will be tormented in fire that never goes out. And the worms that will never die. That's your truth. Let them come out, Lord. Have mercy. You had mercy on Manasseh when he repented. Mercy. You don't desire anybody. Hell was not made for man. It was made for the devil, the Baphomet, the fallen angels. Men do not have to go there. Men, the price has been paid. And I pray, even as I pray now, somebody, somebody will cry out that three words, Jesus, save me. Jesus, help me. And they will see the arm of God reach out and pull them from the fires that are burning. Pluck them out. That's the power of your hand. There's no more powerful prayer than that. Jesus, save me. Thank you, Father. Thank you. Come in the rest of the night into the hands. If you tarry to come tonight and give us another day tomorrow, help us to be in your house to worship you, to glorify you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. As far as the U.S. election is concerned, it's not over. It's not over. 
until you say it's over. You are the final arbiter. It doesn't stop at the U.S. Supreme Court. It stops at your court. It is not over until you say it is over. We stand on it. Thank you, thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. We praise you, we worship you, we glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.